This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, this is Mark Raycomb, one of the hosts of Fashion Is Your Business, another podcast on Mouth Media Network. Recently, we interviewed Pete Santora, the chief commercial officer of Software Automation, who is doing some really remarkable things in the area of automating sewing for fabric in ways that really have never been done before. Uh, in addition, in this uh, particular episode... Uh, Veronika Harbick, one of the co-founders of Thursday Finest, which uh, does 3D knitting, has a significant announcement for her company. Uh, we thought both of these conversations were particularly valuable for you. The material is your business listener, and therefore we've made them available on Material is Your Business. So enjoy uh, this particular interview with Pete Santora, followed by an announcement from Veronika Harbick. Hi, I'm Pete Santora. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer for Software Automation. Software Automation is like an autonomous driving car for sewing. And what I love about fashion tech is that the space is wide open to create new opportunities. No one can control environment around fabric when manufacturing. You have to adapt to what the fabric is doing. Fabric isn't rigid. If it were like wood and metal, certain processes would have already been automated, but we like fabric to move and breathe. For those reasons, fabric is incredibly difficult to maintain shape. The distortion makes it difficult to automate. Instead of just being held tight or being stiffened with chemicals as in the past, a machine vendor, software automation, now enables a manufacturer to be okay with that distortion by mapping and adapting. You're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, powered by Sennheiser and recorded on location with Pavan Ball, Rob Sanchez, and Mark Rako. And now, here are your hosts. Glad to be with you, Pete. Nice to be with you. All right. And I uh, would like to welcome uh, Veronica Harbick from Thursday Finest as our guest host today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to have you. Uh, all right. So, hey, Mark. Hey. What's going on, bud? Yeah. Hey. Hey. Love it. Hey, buddy. Uh, we... Is there another person in the studio besides the three of us? I didn't even... <laughs> Feels it, right? Oh, oh no. There oh, is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Fourth. Know, right? All right. <laughs> Pete, the fact that software automation enables the ability to uh, map and, uh, and adapt... What kind of paths does that open up now? It doesn't just make the manufacturing process more efficient. What kinds of things are now possible that wouldn't have been possible before because that can be done? Um, that's a really, really great question. Um, I think uh, we were started by um, by DARPA. So the Defense Department was trying to solve for the Barry Amendment where all goods uh, made for the military um, had to be made in the U.S. Um, and really, if you look at uh, the apparel industry in the U.S., <clears throat> there's 143,000 people. Um, there's 60 to 70 million worldwide. 
so it's a tiny percentage. Those manufacturers um, and, and people working, for the most part, work to make goods for the U.S. military. Um, and that uh, population of seamstress uh, seamstresses, which is where the real labor um, is, that the average age is um, 56. So, um, and, and there's no backfilling. There's no one really coming into um, to that space. So that um, that age is um, is getting older and older. Um, we already have. Um, a small percentage. And and that is not just becoming a U.S. phenomenon. It's really becoming a global phenomenon. So <clears throat> when you talk about, you know, what does this technology really enable us to do? Um, it enables us to, um, to scale, uh, scale the creation of goods anywhere in the world, uh, not fixed to just where you can find labor, um, but anywhere in the world, and I think that's um, that's going to be an important uh, an important change that comes to this industry, and it's going to be important for sustainability. It's going to be important for um, uh, for design. It's going to be important for um, just the the creation of uh, of goods, and and eventually the the future of uh, of work here in in America. I mean, if if someone mentions manufacturing in the U.S., they are not talking about apparel. Mm-hmm. They're talking about yeah, it's a fact. Automotive. They're talking about some other type of of manufacturing, um, and so I, I I'm pretty excited about that. Like I I yeah. think that you know in in the next five years when someone mentions manufacturing, matter of fact, I told my dad that he asked me you know what are you doing and what's this job all about, and I told him and I I told him what we were doing with manufacturing. He's like, that's not manufacturing, that's sewing. <laughs> I'm like that's many that's what manufacturing is. Um so I it just people generally don't look at it you know in the US we don't look at apparel um manufacturing as manufacturing. So I I think that's an exciting change. When you tell folks that you're automating manufacturing, the knee jerk reaction is okay, jobs. Right? Yeah. Uh how are you responding and fielding that environment of questions? So if I say I'm automating, language-wise, if I say I'm automating um, apparel manufacturing, for the most part, jobs don't come up. If I say that there's robots that are doing the automation, jobs immediately come up. Mm. So people aren't uh, upset with automation, right? There is just a um, there is just a, a massive cloud of fear over robots. Um, and and what their potential or uh, what our what our relationship is to them in the future, um, and I would say from an automation point of view, most people think that clothes are already automated. I mean, if you go to someone on the street and you say like, "Hey, how was that T-shirt you know created?" They're probably going to say, "Well, it's you know automated. They did it," or or they'll say sweatshop, right? Mm-hmm. One of the two, right. or they think someone is like hand hand knitting, right, like with stitch. like a needle. Yeah, exactly. It's like right. grandma's in China, though. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the 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 range is like, um, but I mean, most people. Yeah. So don't forget about the children. Correct. Yeah. Well, that, it's, <laughs> it's that's why it's either yeah, it's like sweatshop right. labor, <laughs> needles, and children, right. or it's already automated. Right. There's no in between. Sure. Um, if I say robots, immediately he goes to work, um, and I would say that 
most of the most issues we have with any of this automation robots in particular is going to be really the pace of change how rapidly that change takes place um, how rapid the displacement is so if i uh, if i take a robot and i let's say you're let's say the both of you are mechanical engineers uh right and immediately i introduce two robots and all mechanical and you know robots and all mechanical engineers are suddenly out of the picture like uh, trucks, the the automation of of trucks, right? For autonomous driving, there's gonna be some issues. There's a problem there. with that. Mm-hmm. It's so fast. It's happening so fast. What, what's scary is that that's not a technically skilled labor class. Yeah, and um, it's a high paying job. So they have that's a huge problem. Yes, it is. Kind of, it's a and I and I, you know, again, if there's time to retrain. Right. If there's government program, government financing, time to retrain, uh, then I then I think that so for us for sewing, this is a long, long process. This is 30 years. Right. Um, and I think everyone is going to have um, we can only there'll only be certain goods, basic goods that will be able to be automated for a very long time. So the such as what, though? Uh, so T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Right. T-shirts. uh Jeans, pants. Um, I saw footwear as well. Uh, footwear, yep. So the the majority of uh, of the labor and footwear is the uppers. Um, but you know, footwear is already well along its way um, to a lot of automation. So it's already come to, for the most part, it's already come to to footwear. Um, and and the statistics around footwear: thirty percent of millennials in China leave after the Chinese New Year. So no one, they don't want to be in footwear. Right, they'd much rather, as the community grows and retail sets up, much rather work and sell the footwear. Uh, that's a much better environment. So, um, so yeah, so they th- these products uh, are more apt to automation than the more fashion uh, artisanal types of goods, and so that's going to lead to uh, the need for more training for the seamstresses to be able to do more. Um, but it's not going to happen overnight. So I think that's the um, that's the main difference. I also believe, and I don't know that everyone believes this, but these are tools. Robots are tools. I I think um, I think we're going to find that we really work well with them, um, and that it enables us to do a lot more than we're uh, than we are currently doing. And one of the one of the um, spaces is uh, Google just released their there you saw the pods the like google pods Mm -hmm. and they are talking about the translation so you're russian right so this like instant ability to be able to speak multiple languages in real time right that's like so cool i mean that's just so cool blew my mind when i could read a menu in germany yeah it was wild amazing right you suddenly feel like much more capable and they like you more Mm. right suddenly you're not a total particularly in france yeah (laughs) you're not a total jerk right so um uh, and so the industry that was supposed to die right away was the translation industry, right? So if you're translating content for like anything on Google where it has like the the restaurants, right, or the hotel, a lot of that has been translated. Those those that writing has been written and translated by third parties. Yeah. Those guys were like the first ones to supposed to die. They could retrain. And they're doing great yeah, they're now. Doing they're, they're even doing better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They yeah. could just reposition to for that 
use case. Not that we're going to talk about translation for a while, but uh, uh, you know, they could they could move on to written content. And a direct translation doesn't always uh, capture the cadence or the meaning in other languages. Right. So, uh, you know, whether it's a Google says, okay, 95% of this is accurate. When you read it, it's not, it's incorrect and sometimes offensive. Yeah. So uh, there, there is a, a, still a need for that manual translation from somebody with a native tongue. Yeah. And I so, think, yeah, I was gonna say to your point, you know, I think the headline readers, yes, there are some jobs that are being displaced, but the reality is that in 10 years, there won't be people for those jobs. So if we want manufacturing in the US, if we mm-hmm. want these skills, if we want to be able to do these things, we need other solutions. Um, this is like part of part of that approach, part of that solution. And I think it's also interesting how long these innovations that we have today actually take time to, you know, to tra- transform industries or um, to be applicable in so many different ways. Yeah. So you're talking about 30 years, you know, when people ask, like, OK, can we get this product in a vending machine? Mm-hmm. You're like, yes, maybe eventually. But in between the sewing, there's might be another person that still has a task that they're completing. But but are um, we talking about 30 years? Because it seems like things are so rapid. So I, how, how long in your both of your opinions is uh, is the runway here from retraining? Specifically uh, well, within garments. Well, I, I mean, everyone's an overnight success in this in this business. Mm-hmm. So we've been going for ten years. Yeah, right. We didn't even have a product for eight. Mm. So it's not like like you can't start the clock today. The clock was started a long time ago. Sure. Right. So, but the education's starting to filter today. Now we have. Now we're starting to see it come to life, and so now the question is: Okay, now how do we? Uh, put in an education process. How do we and and the speed of that is people don't like to change. I mean, we're still talking about trying to get coal miners back into the coal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, back into the coal mine. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I I don't. You know, even those guys don't like their job, right? They don't like their job. They don't want their kids to be. Uh, I, I mean, as it relates to their kids, they don't want their kids to go back yeah, into that. It's what we, they know how to do. That's right. They know how to do that, and they want to do it. Okay, but um, how do we change? How do we get people to a change and to adapt to this new set of tools? It's really a new set of tools for us. Um, and these tools are more capable than ever before. And I think that's a, it's a tough question. How far are we from uh, let me tell you, How far are we from resources such as uh, software being the de facto go-to place to manufacture clothing? Well, the de facto place to manufacturing clothing. I, I hope that those are contract manufacturers, mm-hmm. and we're enabling the contract manufacturers mm-hmm. to um, in order to do that. Um, but I would say in the next um, three years, there are uh, there is a series of of of, manufa- of new manufacturing facilities set up specifically around. Uh, the capabilities of of our um, of our work lines and your target for your software implementation is international. I would assume, correct? Um, well, we are we are we are big on um, local supply chains. So interesting. Um, we have we have said no to everyone in Asia. Um, we won't sell the work lines to Asia today. Um, we will only sell it if you set up a factory here in the U.S. Um, so we've re we've just reshored the first Chinese um, cut make trim um, company 
they they picked up from they still have their base in Shanghai, but they set up in Arkansas. That is the first Fantastic. cut make trim to ever leave China to come to the wow. U.S. to this, set up. This is what the auto industry did here in the U.S. Right? Is they they mandated Toyota and uh, all the other large manufacturers to to build on 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 U.S. soil. Uh, and we are we don't have any help in doing that. It's not the U.S. government. It's yeah. not. Uh, based off of any technology or money uh, equity terms or anything else. It's just us deciding that we have technology. If you want it, you need to be in the U.S. Um, huh. And that's, that's uh, I mean, at least someone thinks we're, um, you know, we're crazy, but but it's working. Well, well I, could, I could start with Unika. I'm, I'm curious to hear um, the future thoughts uh, from both of you guys on on-demand manufacturing. Uh, so we're seeing... Uh, that pop up in the news cycle quite a bit. And we did an interview with um, uh, Marlene Vogelar of uh, Zeal that does on-demand athletic wear, so pretty specific to that category. Um, how much of an expectation is this going to be in the consumer purchase behavior um, going forward? Yeah, so at Thursday Finance, you know, we're doing one of one, so it's all custom for each person. Um, and I think that certainly on demand is essential to our business because we have to, if you want to customize something, you can only make it once it's been customized. Um, and I think the customization element is something that we're all going to expect going forward. You know, why have something that doesn't fit you if it's made on demand? What's the point of on demand? If it's, you know, on, on the one hand, it's serving businesses because they don't have to carry inventory. So that's great from that standpoint and potentially helps you, you know, replenish um, products as they sell out. So that helps the consumer as well. But ultimately, we're talking about how do we actually make it so it's right for each person. Um, so I think from like a, a B2B standpoint, on demand is like you see companies going into it. And I think it's fantastic. The challenge from a fulfillment standpoint is how do you actually manage um, that production? So if everyone needs something to replenish for Christmas, that's mm -hmm. how are you managing your your people, your machines, um, your die lots. Um, so I think all those things are going to take time to come together um, because it's not just having your factory running and taking these orders. It's having um, that communication between the um, the brands, that communication between um, the 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 you know yarn and the mills and all those people working there. Um, so it's going to take like a, a a great great teamwork to make that all happen. MP, how do you see this at scale, this this um, expectation of on-demand? Um, so we, we don't uh, – these guys have some uh, – Marlene and uh, you guys have some great like on-demand technology, right? Um, and we really talk about it as local technology, mm -hmm. um, whether it's – Shortening the delivery time. If it's on-demand, mm -hmm. if it's mass customization, if it's just mass – Right, if it's just right. staples, um, doing a gazillion of them, right? Right, and the, and that's the the biggest part of the market, right? I mean, yeah, that's the biggest part of the market, and all of it is, um, you know, all those goods have transportation. They all have this CO two footprint. They all have this, you know, lots and lots of people involved in this communication process. 
I think um, the more we go to on demand, the more automation that will come in and um, and the more that we'll start tying these systems together so they can say, you know, you can see, okay, there's capacity here. There's capacity here. I have three contract manufacturers that are full and I have a fourth one at 70%. I'm going to route all my orders to, you know, he's going to take these, this, this 30% of the orders. So I think, um, it's very, I mean, this, this industry, I come from the tech world. I don't come from Mm -hmm. the apparel world. This industry is bonkers, bonkers, absolutely bonkers. It is so slow. It is so against, uh, you know, technology. Um, that's right. Inefficient. Uh, it has such ingrained behaviors. It has people who have been in the industry for so long that just continue to bring the behavior. Um, you know, there's not a refresh. There's not a constant, you know, refresh of people in, of young uh, people into to the manufacturer side because it's such a capital intensive business. You, you know, you have so many like generational people involved in it. Um, it it just mm-hmm. is, you know, there's no like all of a sudden new contract manufacturer and, st- you know, startup that's pushing in one area. I mean, there there's some trying now, but uh, so, so slow to adapt. So I, I think that's that's all going to change now. I think it's changing fast. I mean, in our experience, uh, Mark, myself and Robin, just interviewing folks through Fashion is Your Business, we have definitely noticed that the conversation around sustainability specifically is becoming more inherently important to brands yeah um and they're prioritizing it uh, whether they're just not not a message anymore or or just a a true concern that we are in fact fucking up our planet right right? so um i think that's what it is we actually can't go much further right so with that tipping point that's happening right now or if i i definitely see a tipping point i just think it's a personal concern and it's not a corporate Mm. concern and so the people are relating their personal concern for the the crazy ass business that they have, right? Mm-hmm. That they know they're all diamond members on Delta. They all have elite plus status at like two different hotel chains. They right, and so they realize how messed up their process is. But when you get when they pull the spreadsheet out and sustainability adds 20 cents to the garment cost, the contract manufacturer is like, I'm not taking that cost. You take it. Mm. And they're like, well, shit, we're getting killed here and here. Like we're, let's just not do it this time, but we need to keep looking for new sustainable ideas. And I think that's the, that's the, we can't get so caught up in sustainability that we forget in order to, make sustainability work in this in this industry we need to inherently create a product that is sustainable like we need to create a factory or a manufacturing process that is sustainable in order to give sustainability to the brands otherwise you will just hear them talking about it and they will not do anything in a moment i'd really like to touch on with you you know you spoke it recently at the sourcing summit and on a panel I'd like to talk about the kinds of things that you're learning from others that are affecting the direction of your business. Uh, But first, um, it's that time on the show. Uh, It's time for a snack. Get ready, folks. It's snack time. 
Ooh, nice. And, uh, I actually did not have heard breakfast. Heard so much today. about this, Mo- and yet I Fantastic. know so little. So, uh, uh, like many of our guests, Pete has been uh, kind enough to uh, bring a little something for all of us to share, a chance to break bread, if you will. And uh, so, Pete, what'd you bring? Uh, now, you're a stranger in a strange land here a little bit, not so strange, but uh, you're in New York. You don't live in New York. You're just here for a few days, so you found a way to bring a snack in. I'm interested as a guy visiting New York. Where did you go to grab a snack? It's easy for me. It's easy. <laughs> so uh, we are. I, I met my wife in Whole Foods. Oh wow! Uh, oh cool. Uh, so she for all the single shop, guys out there, what was... Whole Foods is absolutely the place to meet your future wife. Um, you know, be wait. I don't let the opportunity sp- pass. When I was a single, um, single man running around Whole Foods. I remember feeling like, wow, there are a lot of women in here, but and, and and it's it's always intriguing when there is a guy shopping for food because that means we cook to some degree um, or care about what we eat. But how do you strike a conversation? How did you strike a conversation with your now wife that wasn't creepy? Uh, well, it, it, or what, it was, yeah. was creepy. Yeah, yeah. It's always creepy, I, I think right? that we think there's it's, this like yeah. perfect way to no, strike no, up a just, conversation. No, no, it's awkward. But really, yeah, it's, like, I'm, I'm it's shopping always awkward. Guy. It's just usually you've had a few drinks and you don't recognize the awkwardness. Right. But it's awkward. Um, <laughs> is that why they have a beer tavern in Whole Foods to you know get guys? Uh, the liquid here, here is your here is your beer. Okay. Here is the. There are so many assumptions that people make of other people when they're in Whole Foods that you absolutely are superhuman. I mean, you are superhuman in there. You, you are the greatest version of yourself when you're in Whole Foods. Because you're because, in Whole Foods. Because that's right. You're, you're suddenly uh, like conscious of the food you're eating. You're mm. health conscious, right? You suddenly are wealthy because mm. it's not cheap. <laughs> yeah. It's not cheap. Um, you are, you probably just worked out, right? Because I mean, it's not right, like you're I'm just, wearing yoga pants. You're not yeah. just eating. <laughs> you're also dressed for, you know, for activity Tr- or strategic attire would be helpful. Sure. Here. Yes. Correct. But they'll yeah. assume that if you, you know, if you go in, uh, casual that you're probably like a wealthy entrepreneur. If you go right. in dressed up, you're probably Same like this the finance, table, financier. Basically. It's unlimited <laughs> assumptions, right? Of of what the especially the guy, you know what the guy is, but the girl is. Um, and so so when you go in there, literally everyone should be wearing capes. I feel like in mm. Whole Foods because they're all superhuman. So my <laughs> wife and I walked in at the same time, and we basically looked at each other. And we were like, you know, superhuman, superhuman, yeah, yeah. you know, there's no way we can't talk. And then basically I stalked her um, uh, around Whole Foods. Uh, she she went to the almond bin. She loves nuts. Like I, I've gotten lost in Whole Foods with her, especially in New York. I've, we've, I've brought her here to this Whole Foods in New York. We got lost. I just like, where are the nuts? And I yes. went and there she was. She's at the nut bin, right? Uh, and that's a great place to, that's a great place to meet someone. Cause well, there's a lot, some cause you can mix, yeah. you, you can, t- you can cheat and take one, you know, right. right. Take a little try and show that you're a badass, right. And at then, the same time. And then there's, you've never ever okay. had everything. Right, but it's okay. You've never had everything. So you could be like, Hey, how is that? Like right. I was thinking about trying that. How, are those really good? Oh yeah, they're great. Are they low in calories? You know, uh, right? Toss it out because you're superhuman. I'm yeah. suddenly conscious of the calories. I just came from Five Guys, but now, just, but now, you know, test if she's watching her weight or yeah, I mean, no for himself. Know. No, just, <laughs> yeah, just just to show that he's conscious. Just about conscious. What he eats. I'm yeah, aware. That's it. You know, great fatty acids in those almonds, right? right? Great oils. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, do you 
pair it with anything? What do you right? drink it with this after? I mean, you know, go for it. Is that go yeah, for it. aperitif wine? Or yeah, that, right. <laughs> but, see, that sounds stupid because we're sitting across from each other with the mics in our face. And yet he's sure. married however, to her. However, <laughs> put the cape on. Put the cape on, no problem. Sounds genius. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like you know what you're Whole talking about. Yeah. So what did you bring from Whole Foods? Oh, hell. You better have brought nuts. Nothing That's healthy. all I okay. say. Okay, I did not bring nuts. I, I did not bring nuts. like yodels. Or okay, so. Uh, space cakes. I brought uh, oh, awesome. banana chips. Nice. Okay, so this is also Excellent. in the nut bin right this is from the this is from the nut bin um i didn't do the plastic bag because i thought you guys would be like uh is that hygienic like what have you been sticking your hand in all day uh so i got the 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 packaged Mm. version okay um so i'll take one and pass it around um just so you know that i eat these Um, (laughs) so i didn't poison them (laughs) so twofold one uh i met my wife at the nut bin so this is a representative of that um and two we are banana crazy. Okay. Bana- I am banana crazy. If any restaurant has a banana dessert, I don't even ask what it is. I just say, do you have mm. bananas on your menu? And they say yes. And then they be- begin to explain. I say, don't worry. Just bring it. So, bring um, and so my kids, we always have bananas mm-hmm. at home. And, uh, and I grew up, I was a professional soccer player, always have bananas uh, to play sports. And now my girls are banana crazy. And um, and they like to act like monkeys to get the bananas. Perfect. Um, and so basically, I it's just, a thread line in the family. It is. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And so I brought, you know, a piece of myself Thank and you. my wife and my children to share with you. So oh, and I feel all of them. Thank you. So uh, <laughs> just in closing here, mm. <laughs> um, apparently the most interesting person in the room because you, you met your wife in Whole Foods. Uh, you were a professional soccer mm. player. And you have brought a robot with you. Yeah. So if uh, today, right, you if, a robot with if you? I was trying to meet. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no fucking way. If I was trying to meet girls, right, robots is now. Today's a thing. It, it's totally. Uh, listen, if if a girl comes into a room and she this thing comes up to her and just kind of taps her foot. Okay. <laughs> There is no way she doesn't assume that you are like some type of genius who is going to uh, save the world. Here's the thing: the the question is here. I'll bring it. I'll bring it to you. <laughs> so this little guy. Yeah. So the question is, what is a, a what is a robot, right? Mm-hmm. So today, I'm I, I've got this thing and I'm controlling it. Well, that's that's uh right. I can make him do things like weird little things, like shake at you. And I can make him, uh, you know, kind of turn his head and say, no, I don't want it. Um, so I'm controlling this, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is a this is like an RC drone. That's not a robot. Um, it's not a, it doesn't do an auton- a task autonomously. It doesn't make decisions. However, it's like your car. Keep releasing software updates, right? Now it starts learning, uh, you know, recognizing furniture. It starts to, uh, you know, recognize you. So this little guy, if you if you sit with him while you're watching Star Wars, um, you it will start to chirp, right? When it sees the when it sees the little uh, BB-8, whatever, yeah, yeah, in mm-hmm. front of it, it'll start chirping. So it's got. Uh, it's got VR capabilities. It's got some visual recognition capabilities. It's got some hearing audio capabilities. So when it hears when it hears Star Wars, it gets excited. Um, I can call to it. I haven't set it up, but I can call to it. So it's this fine line between here's a here's a toy, 
that I can control today, but tomorrow I have a, uh, I have a robot. Wow. All, all of that in this little thing. Yeah. And your kids are going to love it. <laughs> and my kids are going to love it. I'm, I'm basically, I'm taking my daughter to the office and this is going to come out and greet it. Nice. Yes. And what we decided is maybe it just greets everyone who comes into the office because who wouldn't want to talk w once that's happened? This robot is darling. Yeah. Cutie pie. Okay. So banana chips and robots. Yeah. I think we're done here. I think you just named the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, uh, you're going to hear Pete uh, talk about uh, Sourcing Summit. And we're going to get into more about software automation right after this on Fashion Issue Business. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. So I'm curious to hear about what you think as the fashion industry, retail, everything's evolving. How does what you're doing fit into kind of the schedule of companies succeeding, companies going into bankruptcy? Where where does your success and um, kind of what you're doing, where does that take off um, as it compares to what the industry is facing right now? Uh, good question. Uh, you know, obviously as a startup, I and mean, we're a 10-year-old startup, mm -hmm. right? Like I said before, overnight success. Um, yep. We <clears throat> eight years of R and D, so it's hard that we've been through three presidents. Um, we'll probably be through a fourth, you know, as we uh, um, as we go. So I, I think our focus has, um, you know, it's been how to you know how to survive, how to use this technology to build a company and and um, and do what we think is is. Um, you know, is life changing, regardless of what else is happening, right? Whether retail is going way up, or it's crashing through the floor. So um, uh, but I but I think, though, what it brings up is um, people are uh, dying in retail, right? The, the companies are dying off, um, or having to restructure. And I think really, the dis the, the definition of disruption is is death um, f for uh, companies. Whenever disruption comes in, everyone likes the new tech, but it always kills off, a, you know, s sectors and past giants, right? I mean, the classic example is uh, when Reed Hastings was um, CEO of Netflix, the first he went to Blockbuster and said, Hey, yeah. let me run your online and you and, and then put me inside of your stores. Um, and they were like, what are you kidding me? That There's no way I would let you have my brand, right? And we all know the end to that story. So uh, the disruption that happens in that ends up um, killing. And I think in, um, in the fashion industry that they don't realize how fast technology can move, right? They see their existing business, um, and a lot of them think like this – good can't ever be made. Like I was in a place uh, and they said, well, jeans will never be made automated, mm. right? Okay, we can't make them today. 
that does not mean that genes cannot be automated. Right. right? That is that is like a re- you know just saying that puts you in a really bad place uh, because you're you're just not open to what could come down the road. So I think um, uh, you know te- uh, Alibaba just launched a fifteen billion dollar technology fund. Right. Amazon has gone into gone into fashion. Those guys, you know, PVH is their market cap is nine point six billion. I mean, one technology fund is almost <laughs> double the entire market yeah. cap for the company. Yeah. It's not even the same game. Yeah. We're not even playing the same game. Like we we have to recognize, you know, the fashion industry and the brands and the contract manufacturers have to recognize that there is there is something major, major that that's taking place. And and I'll just from the contract manufacturing point of view, um, does anyone do you know who the like latest greatest contract manufacturer for for Nike is in in footwear? It's uh, Flextronics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have a uh, a almost an automated um, factory that's right in the kind of Mexico U.S. border um, for Nike. That generally means Mexico on U.S. property, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a yes. stone's throw. Right. Right. Uh, again, they were – I don't know because I'm not a part mm-hmm. of the team. But there's a general I, – I think you'll see them in the U.S. And next year, you'll see several flex trunks mm-hmm. in the U.S. I think this was like, hey, if it does – the technology doesn't quite work out, let, let's throw people at it, right? Let's throw money yeah. and people at it. Let's make sure we get it right. And then, move and the in. only way to do that, <clears throat> close yep. to the U.S. is Mexico, right? And then we'll and then we'll go into the country. But the 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 real problem with that is is that it's a technology company that had nothing to do with apparel manufacturing, knew nothing about the industry, right? And they came in, they spent a year making something. Now they've launched a factory that automates uh, a lot of that, and boom, they're in the market. And I think. Um, that's where you're going to see a lot of uh, 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 it's not Flextronics' responsibility to bring manufacturing up, right? Mm-hmm. To say, hey, contract manufacturers of apparel and footwear, you know, like this is the future. That's not their job. Their job is to build these factories, and I think that's going to happen fast. And I think contract manufacturers um, are going to get caught in the lurch. Interesting. So why don't we take a, a step back and? Um... And really get a better understanding of what software the capabilities are, what solutions you're able to provide right now. Yeah, so the the base technology is um, is a vision system uh, that can um, map fabric. It can see the threads of a uh, of a piece of fabric, can map it, and then can use robotics to steer it through the needle. That's generally. Um, the way the technology works. That's Simple why I like stuff. to say it's like Tesla, right? It's like a, a, a autonomous driving yeah. car, right? Um, the fabric folds, suddenly it's like a person walked across the street. Like mm-hmm. there was a wrinkle in the fabric, mm-hmm. right? Can see the wrinkle, can remove the wrinkle. So we started as a software company. Like we just wanted to do the vision technology and um, and there just wasn't any hardware that could process the data that we were creating, Right, so that's when we started to create the the robotics, um, and we generally the the really interesting um, 
the robotics. One is a, a robotic sewing head that goes onto a standard sewing machine and um, and can move the fabric at the needle as in real time as it's being sewn and as it's distorting. So when the needle hits the fabric, the fabric moves and distorts, it stretches, and, um, and this sees it and moves it back into place before the next needle strike. So that's the that's the sewing uh, uh, machine capability. And then from a, a fabric handling, most people are kind of blown away when they see our table. So imagine a BB-8 robot um, with, you could see his little head kind of uh, poking up off of the body. Imagine that size ball kind of in um, in a table, but lots of them, mm-hmm. right? And that ball is a full ball spins 360 degrees and it can grab fabric. And so these balls all work together um, and they, they collaborate. Uh, They're called shared resources or the military calls them a swarm, but all the balls work together to pull and stretch the fabric. So it stays flat and then to actually hold it just like a seamstress would hold it as she's loading yep. a garment into the sewing machine and it's pulling it through and she's steering and manipulating it the balls do the same thing they're just more of them they grab the fabric and they steer and manipulate the fabric through and on the other side they're actually pulling it out and then transitioning it to the next station where there's another robotic sewing head or um, machine and so what you end up getting is this like uh like chip assembly line right like a like a um uh, this this car assembly line any type of assembly line but for garments um where they're laying flat they're being stacked on each other and then they're and then they're being um constructed we don't sew in 3d today so if there's any Mm -hmm. type of really 3d which is like volume uh creating volume so for for your you knit right you the machine knits in in a um, and creates volume in between mm-hmm. um, we we work flat right so uh, the vision can see in 3d but the hardware today doesn't work in 3d so um, yeah so we have our limitations like everything else but um, but never get too fixated on it because by the time you think that well that thing's not capable then suddenly it's capable what can you tell us about the way that this was even conceived do you know anything about the path of of how this technology came to be, like what the thought process was of the different developments that resulted in it? Was there like a singular innovation that allowed this to then be possible? Of course I can tell you I'm all knowing uh, in this category. So fill fill us in, Pete. (laughs) So so it didn't come from the fashion industry, um, right? It didn't come from someone who was in uh, garment manufacturing. Um, it came from a professor who was from a town in Alabama that used to be uh, a big sewing town um, that where everyone left. And, um, and his town was basically just uh, cleared out. And so um, when DARPA comes to Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech does um, about $980 million in research. Um, and so that's a lot of that's a mm-hmm. lot of research uh, for the U.S. government um, and also for um, Fortune 500. Um, when they're working with the U.S. government, they so a lot of times DARPA will come and they'll pose challenges. And so one of the challenges was, hey, like solve a big, big hairy problem, like any big hairy problem that you you think you can um, you think you can sew. And so um, we have these issues. We've got kind of the Berry Amendment. We've got kind of all of these um, these issues that we're trying to get after. And so a professor was an expert in machine vision. 
And he just came up with the idea of, well, I'm pretty sure I can. There's a repeating pattern, right? There's a pattern to that good. I'm pretty sure I can. I can deal with that. I can figure out a way to um, uh, to map it. And so he was an expert in machine vision. So he went to Georgia Tech has a top ten uh, global ma- uh, material science and engineering. We also have a top uh, robotics. Uh, um, group that works in handling, uh, like MIT works in stabilization, Georgia Tech works in handling. I mean, give or take, right? But a lot of focus. And so all of these things came together at the same time. And Georgia Tech was just this like perfect place for it to, uh, for it to come together. And, uh, and then with several professors um, created a work together. Um, Georgia Tech has a history of the first wearable tech shirt was um, all the wearable tech was from Georgia Tech. All the IP around wearable tech is from Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. So they loom the first wearable tech shirt, and it's in the Smithsonian today. So kind of these guys got together and said, yeah, I think we can – uh, do something. And, and, um, and that was kind of the genesis of, um, of this. And then the first thing that we did to prove that machine vision could work is we sewed two perfect circles over the top of each other with the first stitch and the last stitch in the same hole. And that basically was the, the foundation of our technology, um, and the proof of concept for DARPA to say, Hey, this is, this is possible. We can create a business out of it. I'm curious about the manufacturing process and how, so thinking about like the Toyota way, how has using the automation changed anything just in terms of like um, moving from one step to the other mm. or, um, or, or uh, steps in completion? Um, have you seen that impact at all? Or is the process the same? Um, you just kind of, you know, it's, it's moved through with these swarms of teams and... You know, this is the real mind screw for the industry. They are used to de-skilling, they're used to system integrating, and they're used to uh, automation or some type of advanced manufacturing on an uh, on an individual level. So, I want to do like a certain seam, right? There's a certain machine that they use, and then depending on the fabric, it changes, and the seamstress has to have a certain amount of skill and there's a certain length of time it takes. And then they basically say, like, I want to descale that so I can just put any worker on it. And so when they first talk to us and they talk to any machine vendor, vendor, it's usually about descale this operation. And I literally go in there and say, like, we are not going to help you with any particular operation. If you want that operation, like, go somewhere else. We are going to solve the whole good, right? And that is the fundamental change for for this industry is that we we are looking at um, not de-skilling. We're looking at constructing the whole good in an automated way. And what that does, and the way the reason why it breaks so many uh, existing processes today is that you can then put it. It's basically a factory. I mean, if I know how to make a good from end to end, and I can get material right? Fabric forward. I can buy it from a U.S. uh, mill. Then I just load the fabric into the machine and I get a good at the end of the, at the end of the Mm -hmm. line, Mm -hmm. right? And, and do they typically go through like, does, does the creation of one piece or, or maybe batched in in a couple, but is it all go through the whole process, um, all the way? Yeah. All the way. No, we don't want anything to, if it gets labels, if it gets you know, whatever it gets, whatever embellishment it gets, right? We want that to be a part of the process. 
um, and um, and that you know that is what enables us to get the goods that on demand local right set up and i'm i'm actually really excited about the future contract manufacturing uh entrepreneur like that is not going to be mm -hmm. that's not even a class of entrepreneur we have right now um you know if you look at the biggest launches on like kickstarter like the, the guys who sell the bags the guys who sell like flint and tinder did a the mass like, customization or the, they're yeah. just like these u.s brand yeah. quality brand you know basics yep. yeah and, and they're all cut and sew cut and mm -hmm. sew yeah. right and we're at cut and sew and you know la's got some stuff to be able to do that but you can't do it at scale um you know a t-shirt is a dollar labor wise you when the total cost of the good is usually a dollar 80 from uh, including fabric from maybe bangladesh or a dollar 60 like you can't have a dollar you can't scale a dollar you just can't and mm -hmm. so it just leaves after a certain everyone just leaves right um everyone was on ivanka because you know when she starts her apparel line just immediately they're just you just leave Right. You just that's the first thing everyone does if you want to try and scale um, apparel. And so this is like, don't just leave. Just just stay. Sit for a while. Like, you know, we'll help you get to. We'll figure uh, it out yeah, we'll help you get to this point where you can build capacity here. And that's going to take, you know, that's a um, the guy who moved a factory from China to the U.S. He is um, he's Chinese. Uh, but he is. um he has got the entrepreneurial mindset. He has a great company in China. He has got a big contract manufacturer in China. But the he has got the, the entrepreneurial mindset to be able to say, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something new. And I'm going to go out, you know, take risk. And I'm going to go ahead of the head of the storm. And we're going to have those same people uh, here in the U.S. Once they see it's possible, people are going to start dreaming about themselves being um, being a, apparel manufacturers, right? That people haven't done in a long time. There's going to be the new Ford for apparel. Yeah, and um, you can be cost competitive and still made in the U.S. and right. still made more local and still do and, cool yeah. stuff, right? Still do some cool stuff to the garment. Like, what if you could get the base made and then you could add like some cool stuff onto it to really, you know, so. So I think it's, you know, during break, we talked a little bit about like the, the down funnel effects of this. And uh, one reference point that Nico, you made was um, consolidation of warehouse space, potentially. Do you see that warehouse space can now turn into manufacturing and you see brands being more vertically integrated? Is that the dream? It's, you know, there, uh, you know, it's kind of like, what is a brand? Mm hmm. I think you just have to go back and put like why and what in front of everything. They like, have the real estate. If that's take a dictionary be, yeah. of apparel uh, terms and then put why and what in front of everything. Who is and who like who is the contract manufacturer? What is a brand like? Is a brand have a retail? Do they make their own goods now? I mean, for the most part, brands don't want to make. They just want to. Yeah. They just want to design. Right. But it's also because it's been so difficult in the past. Right. right. That's why that's why they haven't wanted to make it. They haven't. You know, it's payroll. It's all those things. Right. If, if it's easier for them, then. Well, you know, and they may not the change mindset. But guess what? A new brand may start and they come in with a totally different mindset. And they come in from the mindset that this is my brand and I actually want to know how it's made or I care about how it's made. And so I think brand uh, contract manufacturer and retail right now, I think those three words are 
totally uh, they, they've been so siloed i mm-hmm. think they're the silos now are just uh intermingling it's one now uh silo that people are trying to figure out what what are the responsibilities or what is our business model for these um for these things and how can it how can it bring out some net new capability around our organization um and the business model in this space hasn't changed for 40 years i mean when Nike started getting shoes on a boat from Korea, right? And people started to say, okay, wow, you can get shoes over there done like that? Like, <laughs> and this is the cost structure? And everyone yeah. started to go, right? Now, all of a sudden, you turn that around. Um, I, I think that um, there's a huge opportunity um, in the space to kind of capture market share from from really big names who want to do um, who want to do local, and the consumer is much more open to wanting to support um, to support that. They don't necessarily want to pay tons. They don't want to pay more, but it's just like sustainability. We have to figure out a way to make a good here in the U.S. for the same cost as mm-hmm. we've been working our asses off to make a good somewhere else, and we need it to be sustainable as part of the process. It's exciting because Made in America still has the cachet of being high quality on an international stage. Yeah. We are still the pinnacle of quality. Yeah. So um, as this transition happens, and I do hope that it happens uh, as you uh, as you projected to, um, it's going to be impactful. Yeah, for our domestic economy. I, I what I'm most excited about Made in America when it comes to clothes is it's not a label we stick on there to try and make the consumer um, mm-hmm. feel guilty about their purchase. Right. I don't want them to feel guilty. Don't buy Made in America. Mm-hmm. Like just buy Made in China or Made in Taiwan if you want to. But damn it, we can make good stuff. Yeah. Right. It's and and this is where it's made, and we're just proud of we're just proud of making it here. Mm-hmm. But don't feel guilty. Like. Get the cheap ass T-shirt if you want from 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 China. I'm not asking you to pay more. So I think if we get out of the uh, of guilting, no one's really talking about that, but everyone feels it when you go into a store and you look at the tag and you're like, "Should I buy this to support you know someone? Just buy it to mm-hmm. to because you want the you want that thing." Um, and I and I think uh, this is what will enable that that change. I think it's so important to buy something that you're going to use and keep, so you don't keep buying more th- things that you don't use, and you end up throwing it out, and then you add to the textile waste. <laughs> right. Well, that's not the same. <laughs> that 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 sometimes does contradict wanting to go for the cheaper route, right? So oh, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, one last point here. Uh, Pete, uh, I met you at the because you uh, had been a part of a panel at the uh, Sourcing Journal Sourcing Summit. Yep. Um, so my question is, good summit. Yeah, it really was a pretty. I had some uh, awesome, awesome people on there. Uh, not me, but other, other <laughs> great people. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have sure. a variety I'm of types awesome. of people. Balance, balance is key. To everything. <laughs> That's right. Yes, balance is key. We, I have to bring. You know, I, this is the only way to make the other guys look good. Right. right. I mean, you right. need a you need a rainy day right. for Everyone the sunny days to Santorum be so good. Right. 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 Did you bring a robot? Because you know that would probably. I did not, but I I have now. I am now bringing That's it right. to right. my game. It's good. Now everyone else is exactly. gonna look classless. Up the ante. No show and tell. You will, be, by the way, you do that, you'll be one of the things people talk about from there. Yes, the, right. The, so. Totally my goal. <laughs> totally so my goal. Yeah. My question, Forget about software. Pete Santor, Pete Santor. <laughs> my question is in, in, in participating in events like that, yeah. 
what kinds of things, number one, are you there to learn in addition to imparting uh, uh, both thought leadership and, and sharing the kinds of innovation and, and perspectives that you, you have from your business? What kinds of things are you trying to learn there, number one? And number two, what have you learned at events like this that you've been able to take back to your company and it impacts the way that you uh, are doing business, the way that you 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 adjust your your path, which ultimately, because of where you sit, can impact the brands and the manufacturers that you are doing business with, which affects the industry. So I see you as a little bit of the you know early in the food chain, if you will, of learning information, impacting your business, which impacts other businesses. So can you talk about that? Sure. My primary goal for um, for being at these events is really to learn uh, behaviors. Um, it, it's very, very difficult to just – everyone thinks, oh, great technology, overnight success, right? Great technology, instant adop- uh, adoption. That is not how it works, right? Everyone has built up these super dysfunctional ways of working, uh, this industry of – it has plenty of them. Uh, everyone thinks about everyone thinks about automation or this um, this type of automation or what it can do or innovation and what it can do or not do, and then they worry about a lot of stuff. Am I out of a job or um, what does this mean for you know uh, for the local community in Bangladesh that I set up or what does this mean for um, you know, for the supply chain and all my and and for all the systems that I set up, you know, I took the the team to Jordan. Like, am I, um, you know, we we buy in China and we go to Jordan and we manufacture it and then we ship back. Like that was my supply chain that I set up. And so, what is what do all these guys worry about, right? When they hear that suddenly maybe you can create a good right next door, right? Um, in in New York, and so my job is to um, is to figure out how we're going to fail. That's really my job. Um, so I go to listen to them about all the things that um, they think are in their way to getting to automation. Um, that's that's the primary thing I, I listen to, and then and then I think the what I what I'm bringing back um, to the table besides uh, those things is um, is now given this list. What do we like? How how do we enable these people to be successful? Right, because I I think that um, they'll they'll be their own worst roadblock. They they just will because they they will do what they've always done. Right. So in order to create some type of behavior change, I have to basically say, okay, what is it? So for instance, the the technology itself was just about solving uh, sewing, right? Just about dealing with distortion. But that is not the solution. I mean, if I if I go in and I say, oh, you see the long this outside seam of a pair of jeans is the longest seam. If I automate that solution with a robot, let's just say, then they would say, uh, well, great. Well, now I have 29 other operations on the pair of jeans that I need automated. And how does it get from uh, the, the operation before it to your operation? And then can a person be standing next to it? Or is the person going to get hurt by the robot? Right. And so then we have to start deconstructing all of this and saying, okay, what is it that's going to enable these people to just be able to make their goods the way they, they want them? And, uh, and and what is that, you know, what is that setup? And how can we also make it so it's sustainable? Because really inherently people want it, but from a corporate perspective, they won't buy, they won't buy it. They won't pay more for it. So what does that mean? How can our machines 
you know, enable maybe something local. Um, and so it's that that is that is why I go to the sourcing journal. That's why I hear people like um, like Bill from, uh, you know, chief uh, supply chain officer from um, from PVH and and Bono uh, Bonobos and all of these guys come to this to this sourcing um, um uh, journal and um, and pie apparel and they, these events that they hold is to hear these guys talk and uh, talk about what's what's uh, what they want to do but what's getting in their way and then we try and work on how to position and uh, and build out the technology that it just uh, enables them to to be successful. How much have you thought about? So those are sort of the reasons that they come up with uh, to say no or or those things that they have to work through to be able to say yes. Yeah. Um, how much? Are you guys able to um, support them in actually getting that started? So I would think that part of that is like the the capital, um, the expense that that goes into like starting a new factory in the U.S. Yeah. Um, are you working? And that's just one idea. I don't know if there's the kind of other big big components. Um, even uh, manufacturing warehousing, like just identifying those places. How much do you think about helping? Uh, solve for those other components of actually getting the business started or moving an operation? Do you work with the government? Are there any funds? Like, um, how much do you think about that component as well? Yeah, I mean, we have to, we have to, um, uh, what they have is capital. What they, what they lack in this regard is that we, we know more about the problem than they Mm -hmm. do. (coughs) Which is good. So they hire you as consultants or educators? That's what they come to us for, Right. right? Um, but in that regard, we then have to start supplying more and more solutions um, along the along the path to help them, and and you do it in phases. I mean, I can't uh, I can't walk everyone there all, all the way there all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so I get. Uh, the, you, then you have basically your traditional technology curve, where you have the early adopters and the right, and then it just uh, the innovators and early adopters, and then uh, and each group kind of leads the next group mm-hmm. in, and so we we get enough information out to be able to get the um, you know the the innovators, and then we get enough information out, and then the early adopters, and we get enough information, and we keep building our our portfolio of information to help the next group be able to um, to make the decision and and. That is uh, that is really for us is actually building out a model um, for what is a factory. What you know, what does land cost? What does a building cost? How many square feet do you need? How much production can you do in that facility? Where is it located? Are you fabric forward? Are you yarn forward? Um, you know, are you totally vertically integrated? Um, what's the cost? How much fabric waste is there? How much? Uh, you, what is the cost of power? How much do our machine power? T- that whole model we absolutely work in every single day. We become like, you know, a supply chain. Uh, supply chain. We're selling to supply chain. We mm-hmm. have to become supply chain. And here you are, a software company. And here we are. We just started just in this. We just company. started as a camera. You know, like yeah, you're a startup that just started here. That's right. <laughs> today. 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 Here going forward. Here, here going forward. <laughs> right. And I, you know, uh, and and how many par- uh, How many like apparel? uh technologists are you going to find right i mean it's not like we're just yeah. you know getting them off the street where where they can just jump in so everything uh, yeah all of this takes takes um overnight success overnight success <laughs> all right up next you've already heard about the dating opportunities in the nut aisle <laughs> oh, wow uh robots and bananas 
Uh, we've covered a lot of territory about the industry and about the company. Uh, now it's time for some personal questions, and we're going to do that when we come back in just a moment. We'll be right back. Fashion is Your Business has more great opportunities to collaborate at other major upcoming events. To explore opportunities to partner, collaborate, or just make sure we connect at these events, email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. We'll see you there. And now, on with the show. You can follow Fashion is Your Business on social media at Fashion Biz Show. That's Fashion B-I-Z Show. Episodes available at fashionisyourbusiness.com and listen and subscribe wherever the best podcasts are found. Okay, Pete, uh, it's time for some personal questions. We're going to dig a little deep here. I have no idea. Uh, wow. thought what... we already did that part. Uh, no. <laughs> I thought we went personal. Oh, 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 we went no. pretty personal, actually. No, no, no. Robots we... and bananas? How much yeah. more personal? Right. We really I waited... gave you my best dating, uh, best hit-on strategy. Yeah. Yeah, what we've done is, is we've waited to the end of the show to wear you down a little bit so you're a little weaker and, and, and you've, uh, you've cape, show, cape. I have shown your underbelly cape, with cape. robots and, and bananas. and stuff. It's time for questions off the grid. Which fashion is your business? So, uh, what we do, of course, uh, our co-hosts have no idea what each of us is going to ask. We don't know the order that we should ask them in, and uh, and and so forth. So we solve that with a spin of our good old wheel of grid destinies, and we'll give that a spin and see whose question is first. Awesome. First question comes from Pavin. So hi, Pavin. Hey, bud. How are you, Pete? I feel like I know you a lot better now. Yeah, you're yeah. Well, but, I mean, you buttering him up versus, right now versus the, the question. <laughs> feel so, free to ask me a really personal question. Fair enough. I'm going to go ahead and do that. <laughs> so I, I'm curious. Of course, where I'm going to keep on theme with your your robots and technologies okay. and machinery. Uh, what is the first time looking back to it could be as early as early childhood development? Mm-hmm that you can remember having a specific use case and relationship with a machine? Mm. Um, okay, so I'd love for this to always be a you know positive and uplifting story, but it's unfortunately kind of this day. one is not. Um, I loved, um, we had go-karts and, and remote control uh, remote control cars, cars. and yeah, yeah, and we would build like roadblocks for them, and you know, um, in the woods, and great, great memories. And I, I remember for Christmas, I got this gas-powered Icarus. Uh, it was like the baddest thing at the time. It had knobby wheels, and and it was a pretty big remote control uh, ATV, um, mm-hmm. right? Like a, um, not the ones you sit on, but like a car, like those uh, dune buggies almost. And it was gas powered, and this this thing flew. It went like thirty five miles an hour. I um, remember, yeah, seeing things like that. Yeah. Really awesome. Yeah. And so it, it was, it's a kit though. And we had this kidding. My cousins used to, um, they're one's a pilot now, but they they used to make um, like jet models mm-hmm. and fly them around in Long Island, and um, and they go out in the airfield right, and they would take this jet off, and so so I got for Christmas I got this Icarus that I had to assemble. 
Um, it came in the box, and I remember I spent all day on it, and that's what we did at Christmas. We would we get a gift, and then we just spend all day on it. I spent all day on it, assembled it, got together, looked so so good, and um, and I turned it on, and it didn't turn on, and it wouldn't can control it, um, and I had all of these. I had the whole thing together. Um, and, and I had a few, I had a few spare parts over here on the side. Mm-hmm. Not sure where those soldering spare, iron. Sure. Yeah, not sure where go. the spare parts went. <laughs> yes. Um, but I was so crushed. I was so, so crushed. And I just remember, you know, um, that has stuck with me my whole life is this, this, you know, not, uh, not being able to like put this thing together and then being so like, so deflated. Yeah. Um, and so I think now whenever I get a machine, I like really, I spend time with it. I try and like get other people to help me. And it's always this like, you <laughs> know, anyone get that to Icarus first. to work? It's a, no, never, never, never worked. <laughs> now what the, the, the horrible part to the story is what if it was like just a broken, like right. just yeah. inherently didn't work. Right? Maybe I just got a bad you one. Don't know Here if it's you are or, as a grown But it, it, it literally, <laughs> it literally like crushed yeah. me. And I have had to carry the weight uh, for years. Until right now. Until today. And Until today right I'm now. in robotics and I'm like, haha, Icarus. Um, and I, you and know. you could talk about it freely. Yeah. And now I can feel like With- I've got the cape back on, right? Before it really it stole a lot of my mojo, but now I'm back in control. Have you tried to do any <laughs> robotics with your kids? kids? Yeah, or are they so, still really young? To, and, and it's a little they're still pretty young, old, but yeah. um, but uh, we've started now, right? Yeah. And and luckily, you shared the story. Luckily, so it was the like base going in. the base robotics is still pretty simple, um, and so I actually have the robotics guy for our. T- uh, so in inside of Atlanta, there's another city called Decatur. Mm-hmm. Um, it's smaller, but the the guy who runs the the robotics program. Um, in town for all the kids. He's like two doors down from me. He's like, you're in robotics? You lived in Decatur. Yeah. My best friend from high school is living down there up until two weeks ago. Really? He just moved to Maryland from Decatur. That was a bad move. Yeah. Oh, I love that place. It's awesome. It is awesome. biscuit place? I'm forgetting the name of it, but the biscuit. Flying biscuit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So it's amazing. So he asked me, he's like, oh, you got to become part of the robotics club. And I'm like, uh, sure. I'll... I'll be there. (laughs) You can count on me. (laughs) All right, another spin of the wheel. And the next question comes to Vernika. Awesome. So with your background, soccer background, how do you feel about the U.S.? Ow, God, cuts deep. That was a knife that cuts deep. Um, What do you think about the program in general and – you... So you're you're a, a, a ballerina, right? Or yes. Da- yes. So you get. Um, so uh, what do I think? I, I'm taking consolation right now that Italy didn't qualify, which is kind of like the sun didn't rise. Um, someone compared it to the Yankees not making it to the world's uh, to the playoffs. I'm like, no, not at all. Hell no. <laughs> yeah. Like that's yeah. like going to. It's more like going to the zoo and there's no animals. Like yeah. it, it's it's not. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it is not the Yankees not getting to the playoffs. Like you, yeah. your it's lack like of understanding no of, the, of that really um, shows me how much you understand soccer. Like it's possible that people die, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if someone yeah. was found dead, there's a hit on them. Yeah, correct. 
I would everyone would be like, oh, that yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it made sense. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. They didn't make it. Italy, crazy. They didn't make, <laughs> no, but they didn't yeah, make yeah. it. It makes sense, right? And even yeah. the people in Italy would be like, well, thank God we solved that. Now let's, you know, the next one we need <laughs> yeah. to focus on. Need so, more police. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think uh, I think the. I think everyone in U.S. soccer is is shocked. I think uh, people in U.S. soccer are embarrassed, um, and I, I generally think we we put this path forward. Um, so so let me rewind. There's there's women's and men's. So we're talking about men's soccer. Um, women's is like this perennial powerhouse that just always uh, figures out how to excite. Um, I love I love uh, the women's uh, U.S. soccer team. Um, but the men's team was kind of on this path to to be a World Cup contender, and now not only are they not a, a, a like getting into the finals and semifinals, they're not even getting into the World Cup tournament. And I think um, my thing about U.S. soccer is I don't think we have a style. This is my general comment. I don't think we have a style. If you say Brazil, you know exactly what you're going to get. If you say uh, Germany, you know exactly what you're going to get. If you're going to say England, you know uh, exactly what you're going to get. <laughs> Just will end in a loss, but you know what you're going to get. Um, if you say U.S., you don't know what one coach is going to bring to it versus another. And we've had so many foreign powers come in to teach us soccer that we uh, we don't inherently know um, what our style is. We have uh, we have good players, and we have. Um, you know, I love Clint Dempsey. He went to Furman University. That's my alma mater. Mm. Um, and uh, Clint is a total badass. Um, and, you know, I feel like we have these players at times that start to help us define our um, uh, help us define our style. And then we just we we still just never are able to put our finger on it and it dissipates. And then we get a new coach. And um, so so I'm I'm upset. Um, but I think that. uh We'll just start again. But if we, when we start again, I, I would really like, you know, what is U.S. soccer? You know, what is our style? The despair on your face right now <laughs> is priceless. There's no upside to this. No. It really is. Like we, we have, we have in the where, where did you play? Um, so I played in the A League. Um, I uh, was uh, drafted out of the school. I played in the A League in um, Jacksonville. Uh, in uh, New Mexico and Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then I went to the fourth division, Italy, um, and then uh, in uh, um, uh, just just south of uh, Venice, and uh, yeah, and then I came back to the U.S. and then um, shattered my kneecap. Everyone's always got an injury, <laughs> yep. right? Um, yeah, and then I started to go into the real world. Do you still play soccer now uh, recreationally, or is it over? I play soccer tennis. So I like what? soccer. I like what? soccer, what but that? soccer tennis is the mm. bomb. Tell um, me everything. So there's soccer volleyball, soccer tennis. Yep. Um, soccer love soccer tennis, volleyball. Though? It's on the oh, beach. Oh, okay. Makes but sense. Soccer where you're hitting the soccer yeah, yeah. ball with the tennis racket? No, no, no. no, no, no it's no, basically it's... it's like a volleyball and tennis combined. You get like three passes on a side. You only get to touch it once. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just like volleyball, right? Gotcha. Dig, set, spike. Um, the net's lower though, like tennis, you, mm -hmm. uh, traditionally, um, it can be a little higher, but traditionally it's lower. Otherwise, um, they, they do have volleyball nets. It's just a different game. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it can be on hard court, can be on grass, can be, but, but as a kid growing up, I'd put bags down and we just play wait yeah. in the airport for the, sure. f for the plane, set the bags up. You got a little court. They love you, you for that. 
Absolutely. Uh, I grew I grew up playing that. That's my my go to. That's uh, pre nine cool. eleven right there. No, yeah, right. yeah, they do not they do not let the, the bag sit. Uh, okay, final spin of the wheel for whatever purpose, and of course it's me. I really wanted to initially ask you if you were going to star in a movie, what robot would you want to star with as your co-host? That's you know like robot through the the ages. Yeah, pretty sure but, I answered that. But uh, yeah, but what I really would like to ask you is you had mentioned I don't remember whether it was on air or not, but you have a one and a half year old and a three and a half year old. I or, do, okay. I do. So my question is, wow, well, going to the kids. How how are you and your wife thinking about if at all? Let me change that. How is automation? And robots mm. integrating with your kids' lives right now, part one of the question. And then part two is, how have you and your wife, if at all, thought about the way that you want your kids to understand their role in life with robots and animation uh, automation? Is that something that's occurred in your head since this is what you do? And, and how are you integrating that into the way that you communicate with them and act with them, if at all? Yeah, so um, I would like to star next to R2-D2, mm -hmm. um, without a doubt. Uh, I got BBA because I want... I got uh, both questions it's, here. It's yeah. really the next generation of, for my kid. I really want... My, when my kid sees the video, it's going to have BBA in it. So, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a good, it's a good, uh, good question. So first of all, from a robotics point of view, it's... Um, you better, you know, you better run at, uh, just like in business, you identify risk. Um, when you identify risk, you better run towards the risk. Um, the longer you let that risk, the more capable it, it is of really, um, causing problems. So, um, so the robotics, the robotics for us is something that we, um, as a family really are running towards, um, how do we get her, you know, how do we get them involved in it? What does it look like? What's the first steps? Um, you know, we talk about what I do. We, um, you know, bring, bring, uh, matter of fact, we have a field trip set up to my office. That's why, you know, BB-8 is going to come out and greet my daughter. Cause mm -hmm. I, I don't just want her to come to my office. I want her to, to uh, envision, I want the robot to to really impress on her, um, you know, a future, and and for her to engage with it. And so for us, it's incredibly important to just run at at this type of disruptive technology. But from a from a technology, generally as a technology viewpoint, I think that um, we don't allow we don't our kids don't watch TV. Um, they don't. Uh, they don't. We don't have screen time. We don't let them play with our phones. We don't put them on iPods when we travel, or um, or, or on uh, iPads when we travel. Um, like I know they will get sucked into it, right? Um, so I want my adult. I want my 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 Olivia and my Bo as adults to be um, to be engaging, talented, um, morally driven, value driven women. Um, and technology is is not. Uh, it's not technology's job to do that. It's my job to my my wife and I's job to do that. And so we we want um, we we want a person to person expression uh, and conversation and time uh, out in the outside to be foremost and atop. But when we dig into kind of how business is going to be driven, how what tools out there are going to enable us to succeed. We want to run at whatever uh, whatever technology is um, is there. And to us putting like 
uh, you know, SpongeBob Bill or whatever on a on an iPad um, to keep them quiet while we're cooking because we can't stand them crying anymore is um, is is uh, it just causes it it creates more risk in the in in my my daughter's chance of of succeeding to us. So I'd much rather put her on the trampoline outside. Um, and she says, she comes crying. She's like, can I watch a show? And I go, no, but we can, but I'll let you be, get on the trampoline. We can go now. Da- Daddy's coming. Right. Um, and so I, I think, um, th- hopefully that's the, that's the behavior we're, we're trying to create. Now she goes over to the neighbors and she does, you know, watch TV. It's not like we're, uh, we're, you know, we, we're not recognizing that it exists and that I live in some kind of like hippie, um, you know, uh, f- Yoda tent where there's no, you know, there's no technology or TV, but we're cognizant of it. Thank you for that. Uh, as if that wasn't a final thought of sorts, uh, one of you'd like to care. I'd love uh, to end on Yoda tent, by the way. Is uh, okay. that like <laughs> done. But, but, yeah. but, but I'd like to invite you to share any kind of final word that reflects, uh, it could be on this interview. It could be on the work that you do, or it could be on the industry as a whole or whatever. Yeah. Oh, final word. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Oh yeah, our pleasure. Uh, thanks for for the format. I really enjoy that. Thank you guys for being here. Um, I really enjoyed meeting you um, and talking. Thanks for bringing my wife and my kids into my daily life. Um, traveling is uh, is always is always difficult. Um, I'm I'm really excited about uh, this space that I don't come from. I don't come from uh, apparel. Um, I come from technology, and I'm really excited about what technology can um, bring to uh, to the space and to the world as a whole um, for the creation of a necessity. Right? I mean, it's food, shelter, clothing. Um, it's something that is right at the top of of everything that we do and have and talk about. Um, and to be, you know, to be a part of that is. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very thankful. And I, and I think that what we're trying to do is do it in a way that's good for, uh, that's good. uh, We won't always be, I'm not saying that we, we are inherently, we just, we, we're trying to do, um, we're trying to do good. And I, and I'm excited about the chance to maybe, um, bring, uh, manufacturing to local communities, not to the U.S. I want to bring to the U.S., but not to the U.S. To local communities, uh, make where you make where you buy, um, and that to me is pretty exciting. Awesome. And in in that spirit, what kinds of people are you looking to connect to, if any? And and how can people connect with you? Directly? I I think if um, well, you can connect on me, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, there's um, that's just the easiest. But, um, outside of that, I, I, um, you know, crazy people, I want to connect to crazy people. I'm crazy. So I want to connect to crazy people who, uh, think about maybe technology and apparel and how those two things would go together about, you know, uh, wool and, and, uh, 3d and, um, and, uh, any technologies that can maybe apply to, um, to what we're doing. And I want to create you know, I want to connect with partners who think that, you know, that we may be onto something. Um, and even if, even if we're not, um, you know, uh, right next door already with a, you know, existing, existing full production. So 
Um, yeah, crazy people. So uh, big thanks, uh, Pete Santora, Chief Commercial Officer for Software Automation. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, that's it for this episode, everybody. We really appreciate you listening. For uh, Veronika Harbick, uh, thank you for joining us, Veronika. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Veronika. And uh, Pub and Ball. Shake it easy, guys. I'm Mark Rico. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Could robots be the key to a call to arms in the fashion industry, finally giving consumers what they want in a fully customizable way? The answer is now yes. And in this special report, you'll hear Veronika Harbick, co-founder and CEO of Thursday Finest, a human-centric fashion company that makes customizable apparel using 3D knitting robots, tell us how she's ready to launch the next big thing and what the company has had on its mind all along, 3D printed custom sweaters. Veronika. Uh, when we have a special report on fashion is your business, it's usually because something big is happening for a company or in the industry. So what the heck is big happening right now with Thursday Finest? Fill us in. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Of course. So we've had, so last time we were on was uh, a year ago, um, getting ready for holidays. Um, and now we're so excited to come here and talk about this, this thing that we've, since we started our company, we've been wanting to launch. Um, and as you mentioned, that we're launching customizable sweaters. So we spent the past year, um, and really even before we started our company, interviewing sweater customers to understand what they wanted. And one of the realizations that we had was that what most people wanted was something that was so simple, like their needs were, were so simple, yet they weren't being met in the fashion industry. And so we've created these customizable sweaters where you can customize your sleeve size, your your torso length, and also get them in a V-neck and a crew neck, get them in the colors that you want. And they're all made individually just for you. Now, uh, two things on that. One is you said you interviewed sweater customers. Are you talking about your own sweater customers? Well, so be, before we had launched sweaters, um, we just interviewed people, people that purchased sweaters. You saw someone with a sweater on? And we said, let's them. talk to you. Okay. Yeah. I want to hear from you. Uh, I just want to understand your data gathering methodology. Okay. And then the second thing is, um, let's get to the meat of this. Why is this a big deal? Yeah. So for so many years, we've been doing mass manufacturing and mass manufacturing is really gross at this point. You know, it basically assumes that human and the planet are expendable resources and they're not. So apart from just getting something that's specifically made for you, that, that actually fits you so that your money is going to something that you want to wear and you're not making compromises for, um, it's also just better for, for, um, you know, our business, for the planet, for, for the kind of fashion company that I think we all want to, want to see and we want to support. So really what we're doing is saying we're, we're setting a new standard for, um, fashion businesses and we're, you know, you know, kind of like shooting it over to other fashion companies and saying, let's join us. Let's make it better for uh, consumers. Let's make it better for the planet. Let's make our manufacturing better for, for the people behind it as well. So let's unpack that a little bit. What you're saying, as I understand it, is because uh, of, and I'm sure that most of our listeners are going to already understand this, because you're 3D knitting, you're able to be exact. There's, there's little or no waste um, there's no cutting necessary, really. There, you're making the garment from beginning to end as a finished product. Um, it, it reduces the number of people necessary for labor. It reduces the amount of waste. It reduces the number of materials. It reduces the amount of space you need. It's all of those things involved. 
Um, plus, if you make something that is perfectly fitting for someone that they really want and they've designed, they're more likely to keep it, meaning that they're less likely to go buy something else and discard into waste something that they don't wear anymore and, and the part of fast fashion, if you will. It's the opposite of fast fashion, except it's fast. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's, it's fast, non-fast fashion. Yeah. The new fast fashion. Exactly. Yeah. You can take that. <laughs> and uh, so is that really where the ethos of what you were saying is about? Yes, exactly. Um, we're, it's all about creating loved products that have a home. And it has a home because you've said that you wanted it. Um, it's made for you. And we know that if it's customizable, you know, the return rates are so much lower. I mean, they're at like 3% for customizable products because you've really been part of the process. And it's made to fit you both mm -hmm. for size, which mm -hmm. is a huge reason why people return things. Um, it's a huge reason why no one buys anything when they come out of fitting rooms. Um, but also because it fits your personality, your style, your the colors that you like to wear. So yes, the it's both considering the types of materials we're using. So we're using um, sustainably made um, wool, made in a hydro and solar powered um, mill in, in Italy. And we've um, we've worked with Woolmark um, this year to um, kind of work on new fibers. So the wool that we're using now, it's compact spun, which means like the hairs are all trapped inside the fiber when it's spun. Um, so it actually feels cooler on your skin. So we have all these innovations that we're putting in the product, but at the end of the day, we want to create something that you love, you're going to wear all the time and it lasts a long time. Um, the, the 3d knitting process is, um, not only the thing that enables us to make something on demand because we're not cutting and sewing. Um, it can be made within like 90 minutes for one sweater and it reduces the waste, um, from even kind of similar manufacturing, um, to th from three to uh, three to 4% is the, is the number it reduces. So, um, that process is sustainable. We make it all in the U S so we're also employing, um, U S workers to, to finish it. And for something like sweaters, that's actually a big part of it. It takes 90 minutes on the machine, but it takes about two days to actually fully finish it through steaming and washing and pressing again and putting the labels on and all that stuff. So you're not the only people 3D knitting in the world. Why is what you're doing unique? Why is it an announcement? Yeah. So I think for the on, for the consumer, we're giving them maybe it's not like the, the coolest, sexiest thing, but it's actually what people want. It's the things that they want in their everyday life. Um, and it's innovating around, um, manufacturing in the way that, in a way that hasn't been done before. So for most people, when they're using 3d knitting, they're still mass producing products. Um, and it sort of like puts that technology to shame. So we've built our own technology to facilitate this mass customization, um, and that we can do it for individually for each person. So no one else is doing this. This is fully IP. You, you have your own IP on this. This is a unique thing from what you understand. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of companies that are going to start doing um, customization um, for consumers, um, but we're one of the pioneers in the space and really pushing it for not just, you know, headlines, but what, for what consumers actually want. What is your plan for rollout? And uh, how, are, how are you going to be hitting retail or is this all going to be e-commerce or is this all on demand? What's the plan? Yeah. So we are launching on, um, I guess this is going live when, when on our launch date. So um, we're so excited to, to be live on Indiegogo and we're doing it there because I think that this is um, 
you know, we're, we're creating a human centered company and it's really about getting everyone together on this mission. So we're going the crowdfunding route, um, doing pre-sales for our sweaters, um, which you will be fulfilled in Q1 next year. All of our prototypes and everything are, are ready, but we really wanted, we're, we're self-funded company and we wanted to, um, partner with the consumer on, on what they wanted. So, um, we're doing crowdfunding so that we can fund the, the yarn, um, production and, um, uh, kind of the, the bulk rates for, for production. Um, so we're launching an Indiegogo would love your support. Um, and as part of that too, we're, we're putting all, some of our best selling products on there as well that you'll receive in time for the holidays. Now, one of the points that you made is about having something that's perfect for you, uh, my words. Uh, and, and that makes it something that you want to hang on to and wear as often as possible and for as long as possible. How are you handling fit aspects? How are you measuring people uh, so that it's as precise as possible? Yeah. So if you wanted to upload, if you are get dress shirts frequently and you have your measurements, you can send those measurements to us. But our goal in this whole process um, is to ask you for things that you already know. So, you know, the size you typically wear, you can self-report on certain elements. Like if you always have shorter sleeves, you tell us your height, you tell us your pant size. And from there, we interpolate that with our back end for the right size that's good for you. So it's something that you probably can't order necessarily um, for someone else. You can get them a gift card, but for you yourself, you can do it in one sitting. Do you see um, you taking on a direction over time where you may... um partner with or integrate technology in that is measuring people. So people can go to say a, a scanner and a, cause I think there are businesses that you can go to and scan yourself. There's even scanners you can buy, I think. And, and then import those measurements and be able to have a more precise fit. Is that something you're thinking about? So I think that in theory, that's great. And I'm really excited about all that technology. And we're certainly talking to those companies. Um, but I think fundamentally, you really for something that needs to either fit your body really closely, um, you need to do it without, you know, with a very tight shirt on or without clothing on. And I think for those really to progress, cons- consumers need to be more comfortable with, um, you know, being m- more not having as much clothing on when they're getting those body scans. Um, so I don't think the consumer behavior is there yet. Um, and so our goal is saying that the scans that are typically being done from your experience and understanding are not reliable enough because they're not nude because people are getting them and they're getting a general body fit, but not a close enough fit. Yeah. And I think it's great to be able to, um, to see how an outfit in general would look on you. Like, does that color look good with your skin tone? And and I think from that standpoint, they're wonderful. And, and I think they're, uh, you know, I can't speak to how accurate they are every time, um, but I think it's more about the consumer behavior. Is a consumer comfortable with um, with getting a body scan as part of that process? So we're trying to eliminate that need entirely. When I introduced you uh, this in this discussion, I use the word call to arms. And that was because before we started talking, I asked you what's happening. Uh, why the word call to arms? How are you calling the fashion industry to arms with this new part of your venture? Yeah, I think we, you know, we really want to set a new standard, the consumers, um, for the benefit of the consumer. And I think that we can see what's happening in the industry. We can see what's happening in retail, the same old mass production, the wholesale model, like it's just not working. Um, And frankly, we're, we're, all those companies are spending so much money to solve 
uh, you know, the third problem instead of solving the first problem, which is, you know, they're spending so much money figuring out which store a product should go to, to meet that customer and, you know, how to unload their unsold products. Like there's so much money going into that as opposed to saying, how do we first just create the product the consumer wants? And it can be made anywhere because it can, you know, there is no size, there is no color. Um, you know, we can just hear what a consumer wants and make it right there for a consumer in store. So it's really about putting, um, the customer first and setting that standard so that other companies can see that, um, can see that new model. Um, and I think really it's about innovating around the fit for the consumer, both, you know, their preferences, their size, innovation in how that product is made, you know, what we can, um, you know, put into that material or, um, the engineering of that product itself, and then making it super convenient for the consumer. Um, and obviously the last one is having a great experience, which, um, transcends all of those things when you have a product that you love and, um, you're part of that process. Have you ever considered, um, it's interesting because there were a couple of times where you talked about the, the customer's experience and being involved with the fact that this is being made. Have you ever considered putting a video camera on your, you know, on the knitting machines and somehow identifying that that video is for that specific sweater for that person and you would be able to watch a video of your sweater being made like it's being born and creating a human connection to the thing that was made. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, yes, actually that's something that's one of my goals. That was, yeah. that was, by the way, that was not a tip up. That was a genuine <laughs> question. I had no idea you'd been thinking about that. I'm, I'm glad that makes you excited because that that's, um, you know, when we first launched the way we launched is we, we were the first company to bring these three knitting machines into store and make custom products right there that you could actually walk out with. Um, so that was early 2016. And, um, Today, it's about how do you extend that experience, not just in store or, you know, in, in a kind of a pop-up location, but how do you make that online? And we know that when we bring that in store, it's just an amazing connection. Um, so that is my goal. It would be to have every person, you know, not just know that that their product was made for them, have their the date that it was made and all that stuff, but really actually see that. Um, so that's something we're working towards. You know, it'd be so amazing. I really think it is I think it's totally a doable thing. And you, you have a picture of that sweater being made or whatever the, the article is being made. And it nat it just sorts the video files and sends them and then packages them through automation and processes them with a, with a, with text on it and a, you know, a video wrapper around it, if you will. And then emails it to the customer saying, congratulations on the birth of your new sweater. It's almost like a baby announcement. You know, it'll be arriving soon. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it sets the stage, this emotional connection for then you get the thing in the mail and it arrives and it's exciting because you've already created a relationship with something that you didn't even have yet. Yeah, absolutely. And you could do really cool things with that. Um, all right. Anyway, um, last question. Uh, we kind of touched on it. So, for those who are not familiar with Thursday Finest as intimately as we are, you talk about Thursday Finest being a human-centric fashion company. Now, is that more about what you guys are doing connecting with customers, or is that more about saying we're not all just robots people? There's, what is the thought process behind that, and how does that connect with what's the newest iteration? Sure. So, for definitely, you know, we'd like we have our um, 
our email address is humans at Thursday finest. Um, and then the, the automatic emails you get are robots at Thursday finest. So we do make that distinction that there are people behind it. And certainly when, when we talk about, um, you know, this AI or, or robot manufacturing, um, it is, it is something that you think that there aren't any humans involved and there's still humans involved in that process and actually in a very big way. Um, but for being a human centric fashion company, it means putting the customer's needs first instead of ways that were, you know, traditional manufacturing or the ways we used to do things. Um, so it's, um, when we get emails from a customer that wants something a little bit wider or something in a slightly different color, we can actually meet those needs because we can evaluate, well, it just a slight tweak to the programming and we can make something that's really special for you. Excellent. And uh, how can people connect with the Indiegogo campaign and with Thursday Finest? Yeah. So we, so we're live now and would love your support. If you believe in, um, in creating this new type of fashion company, um, that makes things better for you. Um, and that makes things better for the planet. We'd love your, your support, um, for the holiday season or, or, and for sweaters as well. And you can find more information on thursdayfinest.com. All right. Thank you, Veronica Harbeck. Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, on fashion is your business, uh, and good luck with the campaign and with shaking things up. Thank you so much. All right. That's it for this episode. The special report on fashion is your business. Thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate you joining us and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.